Welcome back to another episode of the Timeless Science Fiction Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bella Anima. The last time we were together, our hero had been hired by a strange organization, along with a few others. The job? Finding a doctor on a remote island located in the deep South Pacific, near Antarctica. When we left Jackson... He had just landed on the island and had been pushed through a strange portal. What or who awaits him there, you ask? Keep listening to find out. See you on the other side. Anathema Part 2 Written by D.A. Augustine Narrated by Christian Neal Jackson is falling fast, yet he feels like time is slowed to a crawl. All this taking place inside a cylinder of swirling purple clouds. It's as if he'd been trapped inside a terrible tornado. Electricity cracks and flashes throughout the purple chaos. Dozens of pieces of debris were mixed in and swirling amongst the current. Jackson gets to a point where the clouds split into several different tunnels. Helpless to stop it, his body is tossed into a random tunnel on the right that shoots him out onto a rocky surface. He lays there for a few seconds, collecting himself before rising to his knees. He reaches over, grabbing his rifle, and looks up to see you standing above him. Holding Jackson's helmet, Yu extends his other hand, offering to help him. Jackson refuses and stands on his own. Yu tries to hand him his helmet. No thanks, Jackson says before continuing. I move better without it. Once again, he is awestruck with what lays before him. The sky is almost impossible to describe with words. It appears like a purple electric ocean with dark outlines of massive creatures swimming in it, and behind that strange veil, a wall of dozens of stars looks down at him. The landscape is like a giant terrarium, with tall rocky formations and massive peaking mountains. They seem to be in a giant valley, filled with odd debris and tiny sand-like rocks. On the outer perimeter of the valley lays a forest filled with odd trees, with the colossal mountains waiting beyond. The electric purple cloud tunnel he just came out of reaches up for miles, going all the way up to the strange sky. He saw the cloud puff open, and Naya came flying out. Followed by Jan, Guy was the last to appear. They all had hard landings, like the one Jackson had experienced. After gathering their wits, the ragtag band of mercs regroup beside an old battleship, that had somehow made its way into this strange place. The crashed vessel reads USS Eldritch on its side. Following a lengthy discussion of where they were and how they had gotten there, they discuss a plan to find the Doctor. Jan says they should search around areas with shelter and water nearby, that the Doctor, if alive, 
would certainly be holed up near those resources. Naya says they should split up to cover more ground. Guy, the Australian hunter, warns of the dangers of getting lost and killed tracking alone in areas you're unfamiliar with. An argument breaks out. Enough! The samurai barks. The normally reserved man yelling was enough to shock the group into silence. We should be focused on covering more ground. But going solo is too dangerous. Let's break into teams, one with three and the other with two. And uh, who put you in charge? Guy asks condescendingly. You stands boldly. Who's telling me I'm not? The men stare at each other. The tension builds and Jackson knows the men are seconds away from trading blows. I agree that teams are our best bet to find the Doctor, but fast. The team's gaze now rests on him. Naya goes along, saying, I'll take Guy and Jan and head for those tall mountains over there. Jackson did not want to be stuck with the Japanese man. After all, he had just fought a nasty war against the Empire of Japan. But he didn't want to relitigate the agreement and push the men to violence. So he agreed. Yu bows before telling the others his plan. I'll take him and search those woods at the base of the mountains on the other side. The group agrees to meet back at the USS Eldridge after they've done their searching. The valley was a barren rock field with woods on its edges, and beyond the woods lay the mountains that surrounded it. Yu and Jackson make their way across the valley. Yu takes the lead, swiftly gliding over the gravelly terrain with a hand on his katana. Jackson follows closely behind, rifle raised. Everything is quiet. After a short while, the two reach the edge of the forest. Jackson's stomach starts to churn when an ominous feeling washes over him as he enters the forest. Little did he know, a pair of eyes had already been watching them since they approached the forest edge. Meanwhile, the group of three had reached the base of the mountain. After taking a few minutes to observe the strange wildlife they found at the base, they move up the mountain. Strange glowing rocks appear the higher up they get. They stop every few metres to call out to the missing doctor, to no avail. Finally, they find the closest thing to a lead they've found all day. A cave filled with the glowing rocks they've seen all over the mountain. Naya suggests that the doctor could be in there. Before Yan or Guy could disagree, she enters the cave with her two revolvers ready to go. They both sigh and follow her begrudgingly. The cave is drastically warmer than the outside. The bluish-pink light radiating from the rocks is barely bright enough to illuminate the dark path. Naya calls out for the doctor. No response. I don't like this, Jan says as he squeezes his machine gun handle tighter. Naya chuckles. Ho, ho, ho. Humor me for a couple of minutes. I had this job in Manchester. I was tracking a banker who had embezzled money from some people he <laughs> shouldn't have. They'd send multiple mercs before me, but <laughs> no banker. They all swore up and down that the banker was gone. Left Manchester. I searched the city, bars, pubs, hotels, brothels, nothing. Then I searched the canals. I found a small cave hidden behind light forestry. It was hard to find. 
he had been living in the darkest part of the cave. It was there he'd been sleeping on an old ratty mattress, eating canned beef and smoking cheap cigarettes. The isolation must have gotten to him. I found his rotting corpse with an obvious self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. You think the good doctor offed himself? Jan questions. Ah, well, isolation makes people do weird things. The answer isn't what he wanted to hear. Dead people are hard to find, after all. Guy scoffs. There aren't any tricks, princess. Naya smiles. No one said you had to follow me in here. She continues. I'm afraid tracking people is a little harder than animals, princess. Naya's remark burns Guy to the core. You know what, sweetheart? I'll wait here while you waste your time with this. Sort yourself, she says, half paying attention. Naya and Jan fade out of sight as they transverse deeper into the peculiar cave. They'll be back, Guy mutters as he leans back next to the cave wall. With his back resting against the wall, he pulls his tobacco pipe out of his bag. While exhaling out a cloud of smoke, he takes a closer look at the glowing rocks. He becomes entranced by the alluring light. Swirls of white mist float in the middle of the exotic blue that kindled out of the rock's core. He is filled with a joyful sense of calm. At first, he chalked it up to the buzz he often got from pipe tobacco. That's until the white inertia turned into an oval. The white oval looked directly at him, like a human eye. He looked around and found that all of the rocks had the white oval, all staring at him. That's when he heard it, a soft voice in his head. Come, taste the light, it echoed in his brain. Somehow, he could sense the original rock was the thing talking to him. The pipe fell out of his mouth as he crawled on hands and knees over to it. The voice kept whispering to him. He leans back on his knees and flings off his hat. Both his hands grasp the rock. The rock lights up and sends a beam of energy up his arms. His eyes widen. His hair flows as if it was being blown by a strong wind. He cries out in ecstasy as his body begins to glow like the rock. The rock stops abruptly and falls completely dull. He falls back, clinching his chest. He breathes heavily. Then he looks up at the ceiling, his eyes replaced with burning light. Taste the light, he murmurs, before subsequently running down the cave after Naya and Jan. Jackson stumbles over his feet as both he and you walk their way through the eerie dark forest. Yu turns around with his katana drawn, something reminiscent of a startled alley cat. Jackson can't help but laugh as he gets back up on his feet. You know, I'm not supposed to sheath my sword until it has tasted blood, Yu says, obviously not amused. Oh, I remember that lack of mercy you people possess, Jackson barked back. After staring at each other in silence for a few passing moments, Yu turns around and keeps walking with his blade out. Jackson follows, close behind. I wondered how soon you would bring that up. 
couldn't help it. I'm not too keen on you Americans either, but for what it's worth, I was stationed in Singapore when the war was over. Jackson scoffed. Oh, so you spent most of your time chopping up Brits and Aussies. You stops dead in the middle of a clearing. And not to mention all the innocent Chinese, Jackson adds. Before Jackson could get another word out, Yu swung his katana blade all the way around his body and only stopped an inch from Jackson's neck. You think what your side did was any better? Yu shouts as he continues holding the blade to the neck of Jack. I lost my entire family when the Americans landed on Okinawa. Out of nowhere, they both get a sense of something approaching. Yu lowers his blade and they both dive into the tree line. The ground, as well as the trees, began to shake and vibrate. Then two completely silent bell-shaped saucers came flying over their heads. They both could not believe what they were seeing as the two aircraft circled back around. There was a sound coming from behind them, the sound of something moving through the brush. The sound intensified as it drew closer. It continued until a strange creature came into view. The creature's top half was like that of an ox, one with six eyes on its face and its bottom resembling a squid. With its long hair covered tentacles and razor-sharp horns, the two men start to get a sense of how powerful of an adversary it would make if they were to fight it. Luckily for them, the chimera passes by them and walks into the clearing. The two flying crafts hover over the clearing. In a flash, two beings draped in white cloaks appear directly below the crafts. They appeared in a clear beam of energy. The beam, that was only visible for a split second, reminded Jackson of the waves of heat he would see coming off cars on a scorching summer day. He didn't dwell on it long as the terrifying chimera began to speak in a strange dialect. Suddenly, the two beings removed the hoods of their cloak revealing the faces of two beautiful young women with long flowing hair. Who are they? The two ask in unison. The creature begins to plead in its strange language. Jackson steps forward to get a better look and accidentally steps on a loose twig. The three strangers look over at the tree that you and Jackson are hiding behind. One of the women screams a quick dictation before flicking her wrist and sending a blue orb of energy barreling toward the tree. It connects and obliterates the tree with the blast, sending Jackson and you flying backward. Jackson's ears ring as he rushes back on his feet. He grabs his rifle and fires a few Aaron shots toward the hostiles. The women are beamed back up in an instant. The strange creature growls and runs straight for Jackson. Without hesitating, Jackson takes a deep breath and takes aim. With the creature only a few feet away, Jackson takes his shot and hits the creature in the forehead. It falls over, dead. Then four other creatures, wrapped in black cloaks, are beamed down from the strange craft, almost manlike from what Jackson could see from his distance. Jackson reloads his M1 as they approach. He fires again, but the strange beings are able to move unnaturally fast to avoid the bullets. Jackson keeps firing till his gun clicks having spent all its ammunition. He knows by the time he can reload, the creatures will be upon him. He accepts his fate and closes his eyes. Suddenly, 
an arrow rips right past his head and lands at the feet of the creatures. The explosive tip on the arrow detonates and blows the creatures to oblivion. Over here, Yu shouts with his bow in hand. They both run wildly into the forest with the strange crafts pursuing them. Blue energy forms underneath the crafts. After charging up for a few moments, the energy bursts out and hits the forest like missiles. With the forest behind them in flames, you and Jackson have no choice but to continue running. Finally, they run out of room to run as they reach a rushing river made up of thick black water. The crafts circle around them. The blue energy begins to charge again. They're going to attack, Jackson cries. Yu fires off another explosive arrow. The arrow explodes outside of the target craft and has no effect. Plan B, Yu says, as he pushes Jackson into the river before jumping in himself. The craft blasts where the two men had been standing just a second earlier. Naya and Yarn get further into the cave. Still no doctor. Then, abruptly, the rocks go dark. Yarn and Naya get into defensive positions, standing back to back with weapons raised. Two fiery purple lights appear. They approached quickly, but stopped a few feet from them. The rocks flash a strong burst of light that make Naya and Yan wince and fall on their backsides. The crackling roar of a rifle rings out, and a chunk of Yan's shoulder flies off in a bloody spectacle. Yan hardly noticed the pain. He was more focused on who had their rifle raised toward him. It was Guy. Well, a deformed version of him anyway. His skin turned ghostly white with a purple glow radiating from within. More disturbing was the way that the magenta flames that replaced his eyes had melted the skin around his eye sockets. Taste the light, he wailed as he grabbed Yarn and dragged him toward a flashing stone. Naya aims her jewel-welded revolvers and tries to warn Guy. She repeats her warning and is ignored again. She fires a dozen shots that hit Guy's left and right arms, causing the left to detach completely. He drops Yarn and screams in agony. Yarn picks up his weapon and fires away. The bullets rip Guy to shreds at first. But then a purple beam of light bursts out of Guy's remaining body and forms into a demonic-looking creature made up of the light. The creature lets out a blood-curdling roar. After reloading, Yan and Naya light the fane up. To their horror, the projectiles have no effect. The creature makes a beeline toward Yan and swipes its long claws across the pole's chest, ripping the skin off his torso and forcing him to drop his gun. Naya realises there is no way to help her comrade and uses the distraction to escape. She runs faster and faster, being filled with fear. Fear fueled by Yarn's screams. After jumping into the raging Black River, you and Jackson were towed miles and miles downriver until they came to its end. The end was some sort of black lagoon at the beginning of a cave's mouth. The small lake was surrounded by a rocky beach with a darkened forest behind it. Jackson treads water as he contemplates his next move. He sees you floating face down. Jackson hurries, grabs you and tows him to shore. After reaching the rocky beach, Jackson rolls him on his back and pushes on his chest. Yu vomits black water and gasps for air. Jackson falls on his back, exhausted. 
The two lay there for a while. Then they heard it. The lake became disturbed and began to bubble up. The two quickly stood back up on their feet. What came next was something by far the most horrifying thing either of them had ever experienced. Dozens of creatures rose out of the lake. The creatures had bodies of men with the heads of goats, all clothed in Nazi regalia. Before Jackson and Yu could make a move, the goatmen had them surrounded. The horrifying creatures just stared for a while. Yu drew his sword and Jackson his waterlogged M1. Jackson knew that his rifle was probably useless, but hoped to at least scare the hostile beings with it. Nothing happened for a few moments, just stares and tension. Then they began to move in on Jackson and Yu. Yu readied his blades. Jackson held up his rifle and panicked. He remembered the flare gun-like device he had been given, so he dropped his rifle and drew the device like a sidearm. Suddenly, all the goatmen froze in place. All remained frozen until a creature with a pale white goat head made his way to the front. He pointed to the device and then to his goatmen to make an exit path. I think he wants to make a deal, Yu quietly tells Jackson. I know. Jackson holds the device above his head as he and Yu make their way to the exit line. The leader goatman follows close behind. Once the two are at the tree line, Jackson chucks the device into the black lake. All of the creatures scurry after it while Jackson and Yu escape. They both run and run and run till they both can't go any further. They find a small hole under a fallen log to hide in. Naya, in the meanwhile, is doing all she can to keep herself together as she makes her way to the rendezvous point. I'm going to get home, she murmurs to herself over and over again. As if she wasn't demoralised enough, her hopes of meeting the others is dashed when she finds the rendezvous empty. She ponders what to do next. As she works it out in her mind, she sees something flying in the distance. Hey! she shouts. Desperate, she cries out in her native French. The object stops for a second, and before her brain could process it, the craft closed the distance. The once faraway dart is now a saucer-shaped craft, hovering directly over her. She raises her pistol towards it as she is overcome with a sense of dread, but before she could move another muscle, a beam of clear light shoots down out of the craft and hits Naya, instantly transporting her onto the vessel. Jackson managed to get a small fire going down in their makeshift hideout, while Yu had caught a small rat-lizard hybrid-type creature. Neither were sure if the small beast was edible, but both were still hungry enough to give it a shot. After cooking it, the two men enjoyed a quiet meal together. I was in the Battle of Singapore, Yu said softly. It still haunts me. It was a quick, decisive victory. But that's not the part that haunts my dreams. You see, we were told day after day that we were fighting evil colonial oppressors, a savage enemy with no honor and no mercy. We were fighting for the glory of the emperor and the freedom of Asia. Toward the end of the battle, a group of Australian infantry threw down their weapons, gave up, 
Our officers wanted to take them captive, but, but they could see the hate and bloodlust in our eyes. There was nothing they could do to stop us from butchering them. Not wanting to appear weak, they gave the order. I still hear their cries and the sounds of their flesh being ripped apart. I guess, in the end, we became the honorless, the monsters. Maybe this place is my punishment. Jackson nods his head slowly. Mine too. After a brief moment of silence, he takes a breath. I'm sorry about your family. Okinawa was was rough. Then, in the distance, the sound of a twig snap rang out. Jackson poked his head out to see what had caused the sound. To his amazement, it was a hooded naya. Jackson went to climb out of the hole when you grabbed his shoulder and shook his head in a no motion. It's naya, come on, Jackson says as he shrugs off Yu's concern. Naya, he whispers softly. He says it again a little louder. The figure stops and turns toward him. Jackson motions for her to join him. She does so, walking cautiously toward him. Boy, am I glad to see you, Jackson says as the two meet. He asks her about the hood and gets no response. Jackson chalks it up to shell-shock. He turns and sticks his head inside the hole. You was just here. He must have run off. Suddenly, in a deep, disturbing voice, Naya spoke. You'll do for now, she says as she removes her hood, revealing a snake head. Her human body falls away and takes the form of a large snake. It quickly wraps itself around Jackson. What the hell did you do to Naya? In pain, he exclaims. The creature hisses and squeezes him tighter. Then it opens its jaw wide and lowers down to Jackson's head. Jackson closes his eyes and again waits for his impending death. He feels the beast breath and then, out of nowhere, hears the sound of a sword connecting with flesh. Jackson feels the foul creature release him. Upon opening his eyes, he finds Yu standing before him with both of his blood-soaked katanas in hand. Before either of them could speak, goat men came out of hiding and surrounded them. They looked like the beasts they ran into before, but they were armed with axes and clubs. Yu gave Jackson one of his swords and the two readied themselves for the coming attack by standing back to back. The chimeras charged toward them with their weapons held high. When the hostiles reach them, Yu chops and dices the enemies effortlessly, while Jackson holds his own and survives. After dispatching the foes, the two are exhausted. Then the goatman with the white head appeared, brandishing a long staff that glowed with a red mist on its top end. He laughed, then tapped his staff on the ground. Then the red mist flowed out of the staff and onto the slayed man-beasts. The creatures were reanimated by the red mist. Even the ones that had been mutilated found their severed body parts moving toward you and Jackson. Dismayed, the duo raised their weapons again. But before the chimeras reached them, blue beams of light zip from behind their position and hit the horrid creatures, reducing them to crackling embers. And to their collective shock, they witnessed the doctor approaching them, with both his hands behind his back, like he was taking a Sunday afternoon stroll. 
The Doctor was flanked by a tall, pale white alien, or at least alien-looking creature, that was firing the blue beams from a strange weapon that made an even stranger clinking sound. The chimera with the white head shrieks before disappearing into the dark woods. Congratulations, gentlemen, the doctor says smugly. I have deemed you sufficient to secure my escape. End of part two. Did the scientist's appearance just raise more questions for you? Can they even escape this hellish dimension they're trapped in? I'm sure we are all asking the same questions. However, I hope you'll join me next time for the finale. Timeless Science Fiction is a production of AHD. Thank you for listening, and remember to stay timeless.